O leaders of the apostles and teachers of the world, intercede with the Master of all, that he may grant peace unto the world and to our souls his great mercy. Amen. Welcome, everyone. So nice to see you all. Um, as I mentioned before, this is one of the highlights of my week, getting to sit down with all of you and, and go through the Bible a little bit. Um, because there's so many interesting things that we, we run into. And, and last week we had a, a fascinating discussion on the beginning of chapter 5. And we'll continue. The, the topics are multi, multi-variable topics. There's many different things that he brings up and um, ties together. So I'm excited to, to get into this with all of you. So we, just to wrap up our discussion from last time on chapter 5, we went through the first part of chapter 5 when St. Paul is calling out the community on this um, problem where there's somebody in the community that they, um, has, has been doing something pretty evil uh, uh, they've been um, they've been sleeping with their uh, mother-in-law or something like this, and um, very strange things. And the community is very proud of it. Actually, they think of themselves as uh, cosmopolitan, and um, so this is something that to be uh, proud of. And Saint Paul is calling them out on this, saying. This is uh, not, not the right way to, uh, to be. And he tells them that they need to gather together and um, as a community recognize that this is wrong and to ask that person to leave the community. And actually, he says it a little more intensely than I just said. He doesn't say just to ask them to leave. He says, when you're gathered together with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. All right. That's probably one of the most kind of intense parts of, of this epistle, because it sounds like quite a harsh judgment to come together and to say this. But in the context of, of what he's understanding uh, with this, there's an understanding that the people that are chosen by God have been chosen from the world as the, the children of God, right? And that um, even in, in, in the Jewish understanding, which is what he's coming from, that outside of the camp, outside of the community, is where the wilderness is, is where you could say Satan is. So to be given to Satan is to be put outside of the community, to go to that place. And... Um, there's a understanding too here implicit of, and this is a tricky thing to understand, is the role of the devil in the creation. Um, but to put it simply, the devil is called the tempter um, in many places. The tempter, the one who tempts. I'm sorry, I'm a little congested, so my phone also doesn't recognize my voice when I do voice to text. So that's when I know that I don't. I, so thank you, tempter, one who tempts and 
uh, it gives temptation to someone. So in, in, in the, our understanding of the devil um, that, that Paul is, is, has, is that the devil is, is someone that exists that God obviously has created all of the spirits. People confess that in the creed, all of the spiritual world. And the demons, before humanity was created, they say a third of the demons fell from the, the text. And the demons, um, there's a kind of continual um, battle or interesting relationship between God and the devil. Where, and we talked about this before, at the crucifixion of Christ, the demons are routed and defeated because Christ goes into their realm and defeats them. And yet he allows the devil still to roam, you could say, to wander the earth. And he allows this for the simple purpose that um, many times if we have a temptation, this is something that will show us where we are spiritually. If we have a temptation, a, ba- a basket of cookies in front of us. No, no, the cookies are wonderful. But the devil could say to us, we want a whole bunch of those cookies. I want to eat all of those cookies. That's a temptation, right, from the devil. Uh, as wonderful as the cookies are, that's probably not something to do. And it's a very simple example, but you can think of lots of other things that, that the devil tempts us to do. And often we fall into a temptation uh, and it shows us something about ourselves. It shows us that we are spiritually weak, that we do not love God. We do not love the commandments. We do not love a healthy way of life. And instead, we fall into the temptation of the devil. And this is allowed by God for us to be tempted by something. God allows the devil to tempt us. That's kind of the role of the devil, if you will. God allows him to wander and to tempt so that we can get some humility and realize that we're not so spiritually strong as we thought. Because then when we fall into temptation, that's not the end of the story. The devil, that's what he wants us to do. But the devil then wants us to stay in a place of despair and to say, you ate all those cookies, you're a terrible person. How could you have done such a thing, right? That's what the devil wants us to do. When really God has allowed the temptation He's allowed us to fall. We're the ones that fell, right, at the end of the day. We're responsible for ourselves. We fell. We fell into temptation. And then we say, I fell. I'm weak. I'm powerless to resist those wonderful cookies on my own strength. Next time, let me be stronger with God's help. And at the end of the day, what was something evil from the devil to tempt us to do something evil turns out to strengthen us spiritually, strengthen us in the resolution to turn to God in moments of temptation, moments of trial, to turn to the Lord. So this is some of what the role of of the devil is in creation. He does have a role and a place for now. God allows him to wander or them to wander however you want to look at it. But we know at the end of time, when the Lord comes to judge the creation, once and for all, the devil will be, how do you say, put away. (laughs) However that looks, will be cast into eternal fire, is one reference in the scriptures. The devil will be finally defeated and forever. For now, he's allowed. God allows him like a little puppy dog 
to run around and tempt us um, for that reason. Okay, you got some questions, which are natural. Mary, yeah. Well, he tempts me with chocolate chip cookies and, and <laughs> I mean, potato chips. And potato chips. Is it the, 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 the uh, smooth kind, like Lay's, or the Ruffles? The Ruffles. Ruffles. The oh, or the kettle chips. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the rub, yeah. I can't eat just one. Yeah. <laughs> I could eat the whole bag. I know those boulder chips are, are really bad too. But every day in our prayers we say, oh, in the Lord's Prayer, not, for, not to tempt us. <clears throat> every mm-hmm. day we're praying that. Mm-hmm. You still, mm-hmm. even though we're asking God, mm-hmm. asking you shall receive. Mm-hmm. But he's not, he's, I'm still tempted. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I just, well, I don't have potato chips in my house anymore, but I mm-hmm. do have chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we pray that in the Lord's Prayer. We say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's a very interesting uh, phrase, and it's difficult to, to understand um, that idea of, of asking the Lord not to let us, let us be led into a place of temptation to preserve us. I mean, if you need to be tempted, but from what we said, the idea of a temptation comes when you need to be tempted because you're proud. So if you're humble, you won't need to be tempted. You won't be led into temptation if you're strong and all this. You'll, you, you'll see the cookies and it won't be a temptation for you. Right, uh, I don't know if that that makes sense at all, but uh, that's the way I look at it. Sometimes is that often I'm living in a way where a little temptation, and sometimes where I realize my weakness is actually healthy for me. A temptation is something that can help me because all of a sudden I realize, oh my goodness, I really want that, or I'm really starting to get mad. And if I can catch myself before I fall into that temptation, it's a wonderful blessing, right? But the fact that I need to be tempted shows, you know, give, it, give us strength um, and humility, ultimately, and deliver us from the evil one. Yeah. Uh, would you say, is it so, I wonder if there might be a tougher distinction between different types of temptation. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Perhaps is it possible that mm-hmm. it's not obvious of like what might be a temptation. So like you could have like you could be tempted. You could say you're like tempted to go like volunteer at a homeless shelter, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. seems good also, mm-hmm. right? So is there some sort of? Do you think there's a way to to? Uh, it's is it so obvious to know uh, distinguish between good and bad? types of temptation. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Well, there's the other side, I would say, too, that often when, like, a thought, like, going to volunteer or something like that, you know, it's not necessarily always, it's not necessarily a bad thing, because you, but you may go to it and realize maybe that's not the right thing for me, or maybe it is. So sometimes some of those good thoughts and good inclinations we have um, we shouldn't be afraid to follow them in a way when they're, when they're not a terrible thing. If we have an inclination, right, to do something good, then that's okay. Try it out and see. If it wasn't the right thing, that's okay too. 
Um, I don't know if that answers your your question directly, but it does. I okay. mean, it does. But I wonder if there's like a because I, I don't sense of like hidden danger or something. Yeah. Like well, and that that's some of the idea here, though, is that we shouldn't be afraid of hidden danger. That 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 the idea of being tempted of falling. Okay, we we may do something we thought was great, but it turned out that it didn't work out well. Well, God forgive me. I did my best. And that's a good thing to say because the idea of God is that he's not there laying traps for us or trying to, you know, trick us or something like that or, you know, he understands also that we are sometimes so full of darkness in our minds that we think something's good when it's actually bad and to not be too concerned about that but to go forward in the faith knowing that even if we do fall or do something wrong to get back up with humility and say well i should sometimes we do this sometimes i I know for me I'll, i'll sometimes say something i think would be helpful for someone or good and maybe it's not but I'm not going to get too worried about that because I'm, I'm sinful. I, I don't have a perfect vision of things. But I'm going to do my best in a moment um, with God's help, um, learning to call on him more and more for that discretion of what to say and what to do. But realizing that I will make mistakes. I will fall and do things that are wrong or say things that are wrong. And may God take those evil things and bring me to repentance and protect the other person from anything I may have done or said. I don't know if that makes, if that makes sense at all, but that's, that's kind of how I look at, you know, evil is something we shouldn't be afraid of in that way. We may, we may fall into something like that. Now, in the, in the case here, um, it's, it's a very kind of harsh version of this. He's saying, turn that person, like, let him go out of the community to a place where the devil rules. That's kind of what he's saying when he says, turn him over to Satan. It means put him out of the community because his presence in the community is not helping him or anyone else in the community. Because of this sin everyone's proud of, this person's guilty of the sin. They're all kind of complicit in it by this. So he's damaging himself in the community. In this particular pastoral case, realizing that this is a unique kind of thing and unique in that it's public, where most of the time it's not. So he says the best thing to do is to put him out of the community and to put him in a place where there's more temptations, where the devil, yeah, where outside the community where the devil is ruling. Um, give him some kind of a hard time. It's kind of a last-ditch effort to say, you know, he's going to face difficulties there, but may it serve for the correction and salvation of his soul. That's what St. Paul is asking the community to do um, in this case as that last uh, effort. But he says, and this isn't saying condemn him to hell or something like that as a community. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying put him outside the community, but, but there's always a path back, which is the path of repentance, the path of waking up and correcting life to come back into the fold of the community. And so he's saying, he says, put him outside of the community, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Okay, so that's kind of, um, the flesh is the, in the scriptures is used for 
the passions, the, the passionate desires, the darkness of the mind, all these kind of things, just so that those things will die, so that his passions will die. And that's often sometimes can be our experience too. When we have passions and desires, sometimes something uh, bad will happen to us, to our body even, a health thing, whatever happened. And all of a sudden, that desire or that passion that we have will stop because our concern becomes for something else where some other tribulation happens. And that stops the flow of our passions, stops the progression of our desires uh, to, to evil things. So it's kind of the idea here. It's kind of a drastic way. But the idea is to save his soul from this, this evil that, um, and this delusion that he's in so that his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So all of this concludes with Paul's, um, uh, how do you say, the end goal for him is the salvation of this person's soul. So and that's... Say again? Something like on probation. On probation, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, and that, that's the goal for all of these. And, you know, for all of the goal of the church should be for the salvation of the person's soul so that their soul may be enlightened, their soul may be uh, healed and, and saved. So that's, that kind of brings us to the end of that intense part uh, of what he's saying pastorally to that person in that community. So before we go on, is there any other thoughts uh, um, about those things? Yeah. When Joanne? Up, you know, not always knowing. I think there is that uncertainty that sometimes Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've fallen victim to just pushing ahead. But I think waiting sometimes is the best way to mm. get an answer, mm. even though you feel like you need to act immediately. Mm-hmm. That's kind mm-hmm. of what I'm Yeah, that's wise. It's like indecision, and it's like maybe it's, maybe it's not um, appropriate to go ahead. Mm-hmm. Even though it's like, but I can't wait. I've got all these pressures. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the sale is over tomorrow. Or whatever <laughs> the timeline is. Pushing it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard to uh, push back against that mm-hmm. uh, urgency to act. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just to repeat for anyone that had a hard time hearing it, for those online, Joanne, that's a very good point that you're bringing up. That sometimes the urgency of a decision um, can make, makes it sound like we have to make a decision right away. But sometimes if we take a step back and wait, that can be a wiser course of action, patience. <laughs> Which is especially true, I think, in terms of when we think about uh, what we should say in a situation. Often the first thing that comes to our mind is what comes out of our mouths. Uh, And often the first thing that comes to our minds may not be the best thing to say in that situation. So a little bit of patience can can go a long way. Yeah, patience and and prayer and to ask God, like, what what do you want me to do? Should I vacuum the floor or should I mop the kitchen? Which should I do first? Even things like that. It's not, there's nothing too small to ask God. And who knows, by vacuuming the floor, something may occur or whatever that leads you in a good direction, right? But the fact that you ask God, 
okay, what should I do? Vacuum the floor, mop first. And, uh, <laughs> you know, there's nothing too small for God. Some people have this thing and say like, oh, I'm only going to go to God if, if I fall and, and, and break my toe. Then I'll go ask God for something. No, I mean, he's our loving father that wants to be ever present in our life. So it's a wonderful thing to be asking for everything uh, Sometimes more. Yeah. And I think that's where the waiting comes in. Yeah. Waiting. Or sometimes, and sometimes the Lord doesn't answer, and we just have to make a choice on our own. And that and that's can be a little bit scary, but we make a choice, and then we go to him and say, I made this choice. Here's how it turned out. I don't know if it was right or not. It doesn't look like it was, so... Uh, next time, could you tell me instead? No, I don't know. Just kind of like that conversation <laughs> with the Lord is, is a beautiful thing. Yeah, talk louder next time. Yeah. And sometimes he's quiet because he wants us. Sorry, it's going to sound dramatic, but he wants us to try it out on our own and see, well, it didn't work. Maybe I need to ask better next time. Maybe I need to ask with more sincerity or more because sometimes we ask and we only want like a half answer or we only want to hear what we want to hear or something like that all these things take place in our heart in instants sometimes it takes one instant and all these things happen so the what the wisdom of the spiritual life sometimes is to to review the actions of our heart the movements of our heart later and say here's what was going on in my heart at that decision and i can see there was some pride, there was some whatever. That's where we gain wisdom, is by bringing those things, those processes into the light and say, I could have done better with, with that or this. So. Okay. <clears throat> All right, so going, moving right on ahead. Um, does someone want to read verse 6 through 8? Christina, do you want to? Verse, verse 6 through 8? Are we in 5 or 6? Uh, chapter 5. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Beautiful. Thank you. So this is a much more positive kind of uh, uh, sentence, sentences that he's saying here. Um, your glorying is not good. Okay, that's kind of the end of that first part of like this, you you shouldn't be proud of this thing going on. And then he turns and he takes what he's saying, uh, what he's been saying, and he's going to do a couple little shifts here in a really interesting way. The first thing he says, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Okay, so this is a baking principle that he's saying. All right, baking 101 is that it only takes a little bit of yeast to make your dough rise, right? That's really what he's saying. If you had the message translation, I don't know if you've ever heard of the message translation of the Bible, but it's very colloquial. And most likely that's what it says. A little bit of yeast makes your dough rise. Okay, so why is he saying that? Well, the next verse, he says, Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. 
since you truly are unleavened. Okay, so a little bit of, it only takes a little bit of yeast to make the dough rise. So this is going to be his, his, his image. And he's going to take a couple different dimensions. So you can take, look at the image of a, of a loaf of bread and the yeast in it. And he's going to look at it from a couple dimensions. Because it's a beautiful metaphor. We all, or, or many people, have baked before. And you all know that you have the flour and, and the water and the salt, right? And you add the yeast and you have to be careful with it. You have to, uh, you can't let it die in one way or the other. You have to activate it and then you put it in. You all know more about baking than me. So I'm sure I'm saying things wrong, but uh, you put it in and then the bread begins to rise, right? And then later after the bread rises, if I'm not mistaken, then you're going to put it into the oven, right? So maybe it has one or two risings before you put it into the oven, and then it bakes into what it's meant to be, right? Okay, so that's, that's the image that he's saying. And he's going to, he, he kind of has, um, he's like, this stands in the middle, and on one side is what he's talking about, and he's going to transition us with this metaphor to something else. So the first thing he uses this metaphor for is talking about the community and saying that basically the, you have, he says, you need to purge out the old leaven. So what's that old leaven? It's your old ways of life. And specifically, you could say it's that member in the community who's bringing in the old ways of life into the community. All right. So he's saying you need to purge out that, that leaven. Um, you need to get rid of that old leaven. Uh, you need to remove it from your house so it doesn't enter into your recipe, into your community, because you don't want to bake with bad leaven or old leaven, as he calls it here, the leaven of malice and wickedness. All right. So to get rid of that leaven means, that's what he's saying, to get rid of that person from the community because it can spoil the whole uh, lump. I don't know enough about baking to make analogies there, but maybe... I don't know, if you have at least dead yeast and you put it in, your bread's not going to rise. So get rid of the old leaven, get rid of the dead yeast, because it's going to ruin your, your recipe. So that's what he's saying. He's, he's putting what he just said into a metaphor with the leaven, getting rid of the um, old. Um, now, there's other things at, at play here, because he's saying to purge out the old leaven and this is something that's a reference to the Old Testament, a reference in specific, specifically to the Passover in Exodus, that as the children of Israel, they're in bondage in the land of Egypt, right? And at a certain point, God tells Moses that Moses is going to lead the people out of the land of Egypt. He's going to deliver them from the Egyptian king, from the Pharaoh, and he's going to free them and give them a new land, right? The, the promised land, we call this. Before they're freed, though, there's 10 plagues that take place, right? And the last one of those plagues is the most um, uh, terrible of all. When the angel of death comes and kills all of the firstborn children from the land of Egypt, all right? But all of those that have the blood of the lamb marked on the uh, doorpost are spared, right? We know this. Now, before this happens, before this night when the angel comes and, and this happens, um, 
they are to have a meal. They're to prepare a meal. They're actually to spend a whole week in preparation for this event. And one of the things they do in preparation, and this still happens, uh, it's, it, it's passed on from generation to generation as they celebrate the Passover, is one of the things in preparation is to get rid of the old leaven. So it's part of the Passover celebration, actually, to remove the old leaven um, and then to offer a lamb, to, to eat the, the lamb together with the unleavened bread. And unleavened bread um, corresponds to them fleeing and being on the road and, and their journey. They're about, they're, they put their sandals on, they eat the lamb, they have the meal together, and then the next day they're going to be freed from the land. And this is what indeed happens, that they do all of these things, they purge out the, the leaven, they get rid of the old leaven, they have the sacrificial lamp, the, um, the meal, the Passover meal, the angel uh, comes and Pharaoh says, get out, finally, your tribulation to me, all these things are happening. Obviously, God has been telling Pharaoh the whole time to let my people go, and he doesn't. So finally, Pharaoh goes, and the Lord, uh, Pharaoh lets them go, and God delivers them from the land. Um, so that's, that's some of the context of what he's talking about. That's my very brief and incomplete summary of, of the Passover. So this is related to this, this idea of getting rid of the old leaven. Um, even, you could say, getting rid of um, the Egyptian, uh, leaving the Egyptian land. Um, because that old leaven is associated with the Egyptian land, right? And many times after they're free, they go to the uh, desert and they want to go back to Egypt or back to the Egyptian practices, which is what the Lord is telling them to separate themselves from. And that's relevant to the Corinthians because in many ways they're keeping these old practices, these pagan practices. Um, and just like the Jews were told to get rid of the the old leaven. So Paul is saying, get rid of those old practices that you have. Um, okay, so that you may be a new lump since you truly um, are unleavened. Um, and then and so you can see the continuation of this Passover um, imagery. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. So the connection is made between the Passover lamb that was eaten the night before they're freed, and Christ, who sacrificed himself for us and gave us uh, himself to eat his body and his blood. Um, <clears throat> okay, so um, let's see. So this is, this is what um, he's talking about, that he's making that connection between the Passover from the Old Testament and the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. Because just like um, the, the children were freed from the land of Egypt and brought to a new land by Christ, uh, by God, in the same way, Christ is freeing us by offering himself as the sacrificial victim um, on the cross and sacrificing himself for us. Um, and there's some interesting, interesting things here because Egypt is known as the land of death. And they're being brought from the land of death into a new life, a land of life. In the same way, Christ is delivering us from death itself 
by his descent and destruction of death. Um, they were not happy with that incident, weren't they? Wandering for days for, and days and days. For days and days. That's, <clears throat> we were better off where we were. They kept saying that. They kept wanting to return. Exactly. And that's what the Corinthians are kind of saying, too, is we want to return. Are they just hard-hearted, or they just don't understand what he's trying to say? when they? You know, it's, it's so funny how that works, because the whole Old Testament is full of hard-headed people <laughs> that never want to seem to do the right thing or what the Lord has, has uh, told them to do. They're always returning to sinful ways. <laughs> um, okay, so... There, there's, there's many things to, to dive into with this. Let me um, uh, attempt to, to do that a little bit here. So Christ and the Passover are, are the two uh, things. The Passover is the prefiguring of Christ delivering us from death and um, evil. And in the, um, right, right before his passion, he himself participates in the Passover meal. And, and he, he tells them that this meal that they're having, in other words, the meal that was prefigured in the Old Testament, is now finding its fulfillment. Because the meal is something in the Old Testament that's going to free them, right? They eat the meal. And it's very significant because it's not just a meal. It's a meal that all those that participate of that meal, it's not just a meal because they take the blood of the lamb and they put it on the doorpost. It's not a... Uh, meal. It's a meal with their God. It's a, 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 a ritual, you could say. It's more than just a meal in the Old Testament. It's the ritual. And that ritual is signifying that those that are participating in that ritual are the Jews. Now, it's interesting to, to say it's so complete there that whoever participates in that is going to be freed, is one of the people of God, and whoever does not is not one of the people of God. So it's, it's, it's the case that it's most likely the case that there's people that are Egyptians that believe in the one true God, participate in the Passover meal, and therefore become Jews and are freed, right? So it's not just the Jews that maybe are doing this. Any Egyptians that want to join as well do and join the people of Israel. It's that ritual that's that's sanctifying them and marking them as the children of God. And likewise, there's most likely children of Israel that don't do that, that don't want to participate in that meal and therefore become an Egyptian, if you will, uh, do not participate in that as well. So that meal is, is a ritual that, that uh, sanctifies those people and sets them apart as being ones that are going to be living, going, from the, going to be freed. In the same way, the Lord, as he has the meal before his own death on the cross, he says, this is my body, this is my blood. And earlier he has said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. If you do this, you will live. There's that connection that if you participate, if you're participating in the ritual of the bloody and blood of Christ, just like those that participated in eating the lamb and, and marking themselves in their, their house with the blood of the lamb in the Old Testament, those that are eating the body and blood of Christ are being marked and signed as Christians, participating 
in Christ who is bringing us from death into life. Because right after this, um, he himself dies offering himself, offering the blood to mark the people, and then rising from the dead. So there's a very, there's a resurrectional image in all of this, that we're going from death into life, and that those that are participating in this ritual, first the Passover as the prefiguring, and then the Eucharist, the mystical supper that the Lord commemorates with his disciples. There's the icon up there. And we call it the mystical supper, not the last supper. Because in a way, it's more of the first supper, if you will. It's the first time that the Lord has made that connection and taken the image of the Passover and said, this is now going to be fulfilled in not just being freed from Egypt, but being freed from death and sin and the devil by participating in me. Because I'm about to not cross the Red Sea, but cross from death into life, right? That's what the people are freed and crossed the Red Sea into life. The Lord is leading his people from death into life in these saving acts of his, uh, the mystical supper. Mystical because it's the ritual of the body and blood of Christ being offered. Um, Okay, so that's, there's some, there's this one of the levels that's going on there is this kind of Eucharistic element. Paul is taking the Passover image from the Old Testament saying, Christ is that lamb. Christ is that one that we're eating and participating in to be freed from death. Um, and, and so that those that are participating in that now in a Christian context, the body and blood of Christ, are the ones that are set apart, right? And that's one of the themes he's introducing here that he's going to be talking about is how to conduct the ritual of the body and blood of Christ as done every week in the early church and maybe more than once a week, daily in, a, in some ways. Um, so this is one of the new themes coming in. Is, so he, it's amazing to see how he goes from this leaven and lump, meaning taking out the old person, right, from the community, to leaven and lump being um, get this new leaven, right, and eat the leaven bread, which is of Christ, and join in this Passover meal. Participate by, in, in this by getting rid of the old and living towards uh, Christ. So he's making that uh, transition there. Um, there's other things that, at stake here you could go into, um, for one thing, um, uh, one of the things you can, you can kind of connect to this, the old leaven being gotten rid of, as we said, is a member of the community as, as, as one thing. But more generally than that, the idea of getting rid of the old leaven, because he says the old leaven is the leaven of malice and wickedness. He's not just pointing to one person in the community and say, hey, get rid of that guy and you guys are going to be great, right? That's not the way of Paul or any of this. It's always, there's always a personal and individual side to this as well. Say, each of you consider getting rid of the old leaven, that you have to get rid of the old leaven of wickedness and malice of the former life, of the life of the world, of all these things, to get rid of this. Um, to get rid of the old leaven um, and to be raised or to, to have the new leaven, which will raise you up. Right? So in a way, the old leaven, the sin and wickedness, the new leaven um, 
it says sincerity and truth. Okay, so um, God says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So this is, in a way, Christ is that leaven, right, that rises us because we are the dough, if you will. You take out the evil, you bring in the good of, of Christ, and we begin to rise, right? But like bread... Um, and this is why in the, in the Eucharist, when we celebrate today, we don't use unleavened bread. That's something that they did in the, in the Passover ritual. It was unleavened bread because they had gotten rid of the leaven, right? So they used the unleavened bread, which is good for their journey. Now, for us, we have a new leaven. There's not a new leaven element in the Old Testament. So the, there's a difference there that's uh, crucial, if you will. In the Old Testament, just simply unleavened bread. It stays flat. It's just like, you know, pita bread, I think, is unleavened, right? Okay. No? No, no pita bread. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Well, is there, you know of a bread that's unleavened? I don't know my breads Crackers. very well. Crackers. Matzo. And those things are, wow, there you go. That's exactly what they use, right? Yeah. Thank Tortillas. you very much. Tortillas. Yeah. So all those things are great for the road. They don't spoil for many years, right? Because the Israelites are going to be wandering in the desert. So get rid of the old leaven. Bake yourself some crackers. Mat- matzo. I'm sorry. Matzo. I don't have a That's background. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and you're going to go out into the wilderness, right? Now here, Paul is saying, um, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, right? So, uh, therefore, let us keep the feast. That's an interesting thing to throw in here. The feast, okay, what is, what is that? That's the body and blood of Christ. Let's keep the Eucharist feast, which is celebrating the death and resurrection of Christ, really. So it's the present feast of us gathering like we do every Sunday. We gather for the feast of the body and blood of Christ, and associated with that, the Feast of the Resurrection. That's the feast of us gathering together for the resurrection. So let us keep that feast, not with the old leaven, because we've gotten rid of that, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So Christ is the new leaven, if you will. Um, so he's, uh, that, that adds in to the new lump. And it's interesting to think about, if you put the new leaven in, you think of that as Christ, all of a sudden the lump begins to rise. Rising bread and the resurrection from the dead, these are, is a metaphor for the resurrection from the dead, that Christ enters into our lump and we rise. But what's beautiful to think about is that we rise as soon as, you know, maybe not as soon as, but in a little bit after the leaven is put in, right? And it can take a little bit of time after we become Christian, to become a little more risen, a little bit more resurrected and restored. But all of that we experience, maybe one rising, two risings now, is not the final um, product, right? We begin to experience the resurrection even now, the joy of our Lord of the feast. But then the completion of the product of us being the lump of bread is when? At the resurrection, at the end of time. That's like being put into the oven. The final rising happens. The bread rises and sometimes overflows the pan, which is an image of Christ coming back again in the general resurrection when our, our bodies will be made new. 
Just like a lump of bread goes from being dough to being a loaf of bread. It's a different kind of thing. The same way, this is, this is what Paul is, is heading towards, this idea of the resurrection, that we're going to, we start as a lump, maybe we're rising now, but in the kingdom of heaven, it's a new body. It's a like, bread, sweetly smelling, nicely risen, beautiful loaf. Um, so there's a, there's a very deep resurrectional element here connected to the Passover and then brought into the idea of Christ rising from the dead. Um, and us being the bread uh, and Christ being in us. Um, so it's, it's actually the case that this passage, when it talks about let us keep the feast um, with the new leaven, bread, all this, this is actually, and I don't know if it, if it notes it in here or not, but it's actually read in our annual celebration of the resurrection of Christ. This is one of the epistle readings that we read at the end of Holy Week as we're celebrating the resurrection of Christ, this one here. Of course, it's out of context. So you miss that first part that he's talking about, in one sense, getting rid of this person in the community. But the church has taken that and saying, this is a beautiful way of illustrating what the resurrection is about. Um, Are we on chapter six? uh, Chapter five. Oh. I'm so sorry. Chapter five, uh, at the end of it here and, and, and going up into here. I'm sorry about that. You had your bookmark there. I was in chapter six, and I. Uh, no wonder you were looking. Like, oh, I'm sorry, Mary. Sorry, well, I'm sorry that I'm. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, any any thoughts or comments about about all of that there? Okay, <laughs> it's all good. That's wonderful. Okay, so it's a great, not a great sales pitch to be a new lump. That's what we are as Christians, to be a new lump. <laughs> I'll go back and read that part because I read this and I couldn't relate it. Yeah. Okay, all right, so that's a, a, a beautiful passage because he's, he's bringing in those elements of um, the Eucharist celebration and the resurrection are both being transitioned. So he beautifully transitions with that uh, yeast and, and dough metaphor from, from one thing of getting rid of the, uh, that, that person and um, purifying the community, going from that into these new themes of resurrection and, um, uh, and, and the Eucharist feast that we celebrate together. And so those are things he's going to take a little bit of a break from that. So it's almost like a teaser. So he's going to go back to the other things. And then that's actually going to be major chapters later. That he's going to be going more into that. So we'll go more into that. Um, I talked a lot. So please ask questions or clarifications. And I'll can answer the best I can. I mean, did it make sense? I know this, there's a... Those connections are uh, interesting. It's hard to relate to the person like reading. Mm-hmm. I think more like concrete examples mm-hmm. <laughs> in, of real life. Mm-hmm. That's, that's... Yeah. Of what it means, which part of it to, to the make? The old leaven, the new leaven. Mm-hmm. Um, the old leaven of now. 
Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a wonderful connection to make, Joanne. I think that makes it a lot more practical, uh, makes it more relevant to us. Yeah, the malice and wickedness is an extreme way of saying these things. But it's more, I definitely think it's a, a scale of all this. Or in other words, a, a continuum. <laughs> that malice and wickedness is the, pretty much the extreme but there's many levels of old leaven that we should get rid of, <laughs> purge from us. Um, and it's an interesting point. You, I'm, I'm glad you, you said that because, and I, I think, because you said, you know, even just the, even the, the thoughts or the feelings of irritation and impatience. I mean, you can take any struggle that you have in your life and say that's some of that old leaven right? That's making me flat. <laughs> and sometimes you feel flat when you are experiencing anxiety or you're upset. You feel flat and deflated, especially after maybe you got angry or whatever. Afterwards, you feel flat and defeated. That's kind of, it's a great one. I really appreciate you, Joanne, and you making it relevant well, like that. There's just a lot of negativity my mind, and I'm going to give others. And the antidote is, as we were talking earlier, you know, I would think the antidote is prayer, but sometimes there's no answer, and it, it is flat. Yeah. And it's like that flat place is like the big emptiness that it's hard. Yeah. To yeah. It. Yeah. Exactly. That's where the Jesus prayer exactly. helps me. Hmm. The Jesus Prayer, yeah, that's beautiful. That's a wonderful way. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think it's, a lot of these things definitely relate to us very much. And, and, and what you're saying here is, is true, that, that, that old leaven can be all those kind of things. And if you think about it, like old and I, I'm not a baker, so Christina or, or Mary, Mary is anybody, you, you guys jump in here. But I, I'm curious what he says, purging out the old leaven. In my limited experience of baking, it's not easy to remove old leaven from bread, if possible at all. Once you've mixed leaven into dough, it's kind of a lost cause. Is that true? Is there a way you can get rid of it? You have to reactivate it, though. You have to reactivate it? You have to make a new uh, starter. A new starter. Yeah, or see, I don't... even when you let bread rise, you have to go back and knead it again to yeah. reactivate. The... Yeah. That's been my experience. Interesting. So. Interesting. Huh. <laughs> to, re to reactivate our hearts. <laughs> That's the, that's the goal, to re-need uh, the hearts. There's many, many ways you can, you can take this, but what I was going to say is that it takes, it takes time and work to, re, to reactivate, to feel like you can rise again. The time and the work and patience, like you were saying earlier, right? The time and the work and the patience is what's required um, 
to get a dough to rise again if it's been spoiled with old leaven. To get rid of the old leaven, it takes time. It takes some, some kneading, it takes some work, and it takes patience as we wait for that uh, process to happen. The other thing I would say, too, is that it's wonderful to make connections to us with all of these things. And I think that's a, a wonderful kind of takeaway from today, that idea that you know, to become a new lump takes work takes some time, takes some effort, takes examination and, and careful uh, uh, work. But also, you know, one of the things to, to see too is you can kind of microscopically look at a verse like this and, and take things apart. But if you back up, you see a beautiful thing happening of him talking about the resurrection of Christ in a beautiful way. And as we go, he'll, he'll expound on that. Because sometimes... We want to focus on ourselves and how it's relevant to ourselves, and that's good. But sometimes it's good to zoom out and to rejoice in the Lord, in the resurrection, in this hope, in this life, in all of these things, to zoom out from our hearts and from all of the evil or whatever is in our hearts, to zoom out and instead to start focusing on Christ and the joy of Christ, reading the Psalms, which bring a lot of joy, many of them, so joyful and jubilant, many uh, verses and chapters and Corinthians, to zoom out and make the focus less about us and more about Christ. Because if he's the yeast that rises, let's focus on on him um, and a little less on ourselves in a way. And I think it's, it's a balance of the two, a balance of the two, but never forget that a verse like this should bring us hope and joy. Um, let us keep the feast, he says, with Christ, uh, because he has been sacrificed for us. He's done all of these things for us. So let's rejoice in him. Let's, let's get rid of the old leaven. Let's work on that. But he's the one that's going to do the rising in our hearts. He's the one that's going to be active. We're not going to be able to make ourselves rise just by getting rid of the old leaven. We're going to need that new leaven and then we'll rise. So let's get rid of the old, and then let us rise with Christ. So we'll end there. Uh, thank you all for your, your contributions and everything. It's always so much fun. And we'll continue uh, next time, and hopefully next time we'll finish uh, chapter 5. So through the prayers of St. Paul and all the saints, Lord Jesus Christ, our God, have mercy on us. Amen.